Welcome back to Admissions Covered. Oh, no. <laughs> Welcome back to Admissions Uncovered, the podcast where we talk about the college admissions process. Today, we'll be talking about uh, how to approach the summer, how to make a plan for summer, and how to use your summer to best get into colleges. We'll mostly be talking about what you do junior year, but a lot of this information will apply if you are younger, too. So the first thing we want to talk about is making a standardized testing plan, particularly for the juniors. So what have you two been thinking about standardized testing? Um, so as far as standardized testing, you know, we went ahead and already did the SAT a couple times. So outside of school and then also in school when that was offered because it's a either or for most colleges with SAT and ACT. Figured I would take the ACT as well. So I'm signed up for that in July. So I'm going to go ahead and do that then. And then based off of that score, I'll decide whether or not to take it again and school. And I believe early October. And then also because of the nature of the schools I'm looking at applying to, I'll be taking some of the SAT2 subject tests, and those are selected off of school or off of subjects that I recently took the AP test for, so that most of it's recent in my mind, and that I could easily pick it back up through studying. So that's how I chose those, and I picked those for June. But also the May date for those of you looking at it in future years is also a good option because that's right before APs. And it will force you to just study it earlier while you're already studying. So that's also a good option. So what SAT 2 subject tests are you taking? Uh, personally, I'm taking the Math 2 subject test, Chemistry, and U.S. History. You can take up to three in one Saturday and, you know, go ahead and take advantage of it. In most colleges, in the higher tiers, you're going to have to turn in two, with the exception being Georgetown and possibly a couple others where you need three. But two is usually a good number. And then go ahead and do three just because you can cut one out in case it goes terribly wrong. But I think that would be a good amount. I think on like the same day you submit a score from that day, you have to submit all your scores that you no. take that day. No, because I've heard that. No, there are different tests. So just as you would be allowed under a score choice policy to send only one SAT instead of all your SATs, you'd be allowed to send only two of your subject tests instead of all of them. Even if you take them on the same day. Yes, so you can definitely still decide there. One thing I'll say again about subject tests is that Dominic's absolutely right that a lot of schools, some schools do require it. For example, Rice requires to, or recommends to, that is, and as does schools like the University of Pennsylvania. But there are also a lot of schools that don't require them and frankly don't even want them. So public schools like UT, who are already inundated with a lot of information, fit that description pretty well. So if you know what colleges are on your list, go through them, see if they want those subject tests, and make the call from there because even if they don't require it a good subject test score could make up for a low gpa or a low grade in school or just boost your application but if you know what schools you're applying to and you know those schools are going to require an sat subject test then definitely definitely go ahead and take them now so like i'm thinking of taking the act in july right mm -hmm. so the, the act isn't offered in august but the sat is mm -hmm. so should i Retake the SAT for like a third time in August, or should I wait and just retake the ACT in September instead? Or do both? So once you get your score back from the July sitting, I think you can better make that decision. Because if you have a like a 36 or a 35, then you probably don't need to take that SAT in August. You can. It will never hurt you under most school scorch choice policies, but it might just be a waste of your time. Mm -hmm. Is three like excessive for an SAT, like taking it three times or no? No, most statistics actually say if you take it more than three times, your score doesn't go up. I'm not sure how accurate I well, like, feel this. Colleges don't really, I mean, unless you take it like five or six times, but generally like three or below colleges like don't look at it unfavorably. Colleges, colleges won't know under most school score choice policies but, if you take it. But if a school does, 
make you send all your scores. Right. Then taking it three to four times is okay, but you but don't want to go above, above there. So this is another conversation that really depends on the type of school you want to apply to and your own college list. What about ACT versus SAT? Do they look like higher on SAT or ACT? Uh, well, from what I've gathered, you're either able to send in one or the other to a school, and usually they're looked at about the same. Uh, there is that psychological aspect of, you know, being a 35 out of a 36 versus a 1550 out of a 1600. So there's a one point difference instead of a 50. But usually colleges, you know, their, their admissions officers are going to be very well trained and they're going to be able to see the difference. And although it's an important aspect of the uh, of the application process, it's going to be a most schools are going to be a holistic application. So although that might be the only thing you can control at this point, don't obsess over taking each test five or six times. But to answer the question of which one is favored more, I think they're equally favored, and it just comes down to the differences in the test, which I feel like Michael would best explain. Right. What I always recommend is that if you find the SAT reading section to be complicated, confusing, convoluted, that their questions are intentionally made to be tricky, which I think, mm -hmm. then I recommend that you take the ACT because the questions are a lot more straightforward on the reading section and on the science section. But the downside to that is that the math section, while still straightforward, covers more advanced concepts. So more pre-calculus, more conic mm -hmm. sections, and much more trigonometry and more advanced geometry. So it depends on your strengths and weaknesses. So I definitely recommend just trying them out. And I also think like a big thing ACT is like the timing, like you have to do a lot more questions within that time. That's why the questions are more straightforward. Definitely. But I think for me, like being a STEM person, the ACT is probably going to be much better. But I don't know yet. We'll find out July. We'll see. All right. So the next thing you can do with your summers besides just taking tests is actually visiting colleges that you might want to go to and might end up going to. So what do you guys think about visiting colleges? Have you made any plans? Are you going to make plans? All right. So my personal outlook on visiting colleges is very different from other people. And everybody I've talked to has told me it's a terrible plan. But what I think in, you know, in the spirit of saving money and having a lot of schools I'm looking at, um, my plan for visiting them is not going to be um, going any on any far trips. Personally, I'm in Dallas, so anything further than about Rice and Houston is going to be a little too far for me to make a plan during the summer. Um, I know Michael took a Northeast tour, which sounds kind of interesting, and I might do that later depending um, if my family is going up in that direction. But... My plan is going to be to apply to the schools based on the programs and from what I've heard about them and gathered uh, through my thorough research. And then depending on where I get in, uh, based on the programs that they offer, then I'm going to go and tour the, each individual school and kind of get a sense of that. Uh, for me, the campus is not a super important aspect of the educational experience, but it is important. So I would like to go see it after I'm admitted, but I feel that there's no reason to go and tour a place if I don't know that I have the ability to go there uh, because that's just too much of a financial right. risk to take um, that I'm not comfortable with doing when I could do so much more with uh, that money. One thing I'll add on to that is that while it may not give you a direct effect on your chances of admission to a lot of top tier schools, <laughs> it might help you think about your essays. So when you are at Stanford's campus and they ask you in the Stanford supplements, 
why Stanford? And you only have 125 words. You could talk about the experience of being among people biking and the energy of the atmosphere or whatever. And so maybe if you're a very experiential person, then the only way to get that type of writing, the best writing possible, is to go there. But that, again, depends on the type of person you are. So I actually found out like that we don't get like fee waivers for our, for our applications to schools. We don't even get any, but also... If you go visit the school, some schools will give you fee waivers for your application, right? That's true. So, for example, if you... Swarthmore, for example, I visited there, gave me a fee waiver when I applied. But are you looking at any colleges to visit me? Probably not this summer because, like, I have internships from the week after school gets out until mid-August. So probably not... Maybe the Northeast thing, because I used to live up there, so like maybe to go quickly visit, but mainly just looking at how big the school is, and then the location and all that, and not necessarily like visiting it, probably not going to visit, unless it's I'm between two schools to apply to early, and they're really close, and then just like something to separate. Well, that segues us pretty nicely into our next topic. So also, uh, one quick thing I want to add is... Um, if you're not able to go and visit colleges per se, a lot of the colleges do this tour system. Tour. They have a virtual tour, but also in-person tours. Or they send a rep to different cities. I've been to two of them recently, so I feel like that's why I'm you know, wanting to talk about this and can answer a few things if you have questions. But I think that's a good experience to go and talk to the reps. They come to your city, so it's a lot cheaper and easier to go to visit them. And they can also personally give you a great account on the school. Most of them are graduates, so they can also give you that student experience. But also, most of them travel in groups, so you can actually go to multiple schools. I went to – the two that I went to each had five schools, so I was able to gain information from the uh, college representatives and in most cases, actually, the either the head admissions officers or senior admissions officers who, although they might not remember me, I can gain val very valuable information from them that I wouldn't be able to otherwise get other than visiting the school, which I already said I, you know. Oh, yeah. I went to one of the sessions that he mentioned, and I actually met like an alumni that only graduated two or three years ago from Cornell. And he was talking about because I really wanted to know about student life. I think that's a big part. I really want to go to like the stereotypical college and have the stereotypical college experience. And I think like listening to him and his accounts of when he was in college was really important because he was talking about where he could hang out, how like everyone is actually like really chill on campus and not high stress, and then like all the extracurriculars that they can do, like rock climbing and all that. So I think that's really useful. So one example of one of those big fairs where a lot of schools go to is called Exploring Educational Excellence, where Brown, University of Chicago, Columbia, Cornell, and Rice all travel together and will talk uh, about their schools together. The other one is called Exploring College Options, which Duke University, Georgetown, Harvard, the University of Pennsylvania, and Stanford's put it on. And the format basically is that each school will have a few minutes to talk to you about their school specifically, and then all the admissions counselors will get together in a panel discussion and tell them about the application processes to all their schools because they're all pretty similar tier and have a pretty similar application process. Yeah, and then at like the end, you, it's like a mini college fair kind of thing where you break off and like usually at first they're really crowded because everyone swarms around them. But if you take some time to stay like an extra 15 or 20 minutes, then you can get a one-on-one -on -one question answer Q&A with the, with the college people. So it's like really good. Exactly. Besides visiting colleges and visiting their info sessions and taking tests, what are the other things you're going to do extracurricular, job-wise, these types of things? Uh, well, to start off over the summer, my goal for the application itself is going to be to get the Common App 
essay done, the one required one. Um, that's something that, because our school is pushing for us to get it done, that's one reason. But also, I just want to make my senior year easier. I realize I'm going to be applying to not a lot of schools, but many schools who require supplements. So I just want to make sure to give myself enough time to adequately respond to all the supplement prompts to the best of my ability to give myself that best chance at gaining admission to the schools. So I just want to take that time over the summer. And our teachers have offered to do sessions with us to work on our essays and stuff. So that's a perfect opportunity for me to go ahead and get started on my essay. So I plan to have that one done over the summer. Yeah. So just like regarding the essay, you know, like um, we recently looked at the prompts for the Common App essay and a lot of them are like, oh, tell us about like an interest or something that's missing from your application that you think must be included. So and then there's, I know someone asked a question where usually we would write about an extra quick curricular and interest we have but also a lot of colleges as their supplement is like asking about your extracurriculars so like how do you do your common app so like it doesn't conflict with your like supplement essays a common theme i think that we'll find through this process is that the prompts and what colleges say they want actually don't really matter because what the prompt is trying to do is trying to elicit something about you. It's trying to prompt you to tell the college something different about you. So in your common app, if you decide to write about an extracurricular activity that meant a lot to you, that's absolutely fine. It's just that when the college asks you for another extracurricular activity, you don't need to write about that extracurricular activity again, because you've already talked about it in another place. So the rule is just not to repeat. You can do anything you want as long as it doesn't repeat. So like you take advantage to like portray like as much as possible. Cause like I know in the common <laughs> app you were saying like how they only give you like mini boxes to talk about your extracurriculars. So if it's something you're really passionate about, like you should write it as an essay, right? Exactly. And maybe save that extracurricular one for a thing that is not strong enough to be sent to all your schools, but it's still something you might want to highlight if a school gives you that opportunity. Mm -hmm. But for me, during the summer, I, like Dominic, basically finished up my Common App essay. I also had a few other scholarships to apply to and flying programs to apply to, so I did that over the summer as well. But I think it's also important to remember that the summer is a time to also do other stuff like extracurricular activities, but also just to relax, decompress, have some fun. And that, you know, to tie, tie it back to college admissions, those things actually matter because some schools like Princeton will actually ask you what you've done over the past two summers. So what are you guys doing this summer? And if you apply to Princeton, how do you think you'll approach that question about what you've done over the summers? Yep. So personally, Every summer, um, I do 99% of my involvement outside of school is going to be in scouting. And I feel like that is the main selling point in my application because of the leadership and the character building that that program has given me. So a lot of my programs that I'm participating over the summer are continued programs. So I feel like that'll reflect nicely in my application because I've been doing them for the past three or four summers, actually. So for example, we offer Merit Badge College every summer for three weekends where we completely organize the counselors and all the kids coming. And we, we use it as a fundraiser, but we also use it to give back because there's a lot of backstory behind it. And um, it's mainly to just help the kids progress through the program and to make sure that they reach Eagle before they age out, because that is a common problem. But uh, beyond that, I will be attending a conference that I've been planning as the lead for my contingent of for the past 18 months. 
way back two Decembers ago. Man. So it's been a while. Um, I'm so ready for it to be over, but it's been a great experience. I've learned a lot. I've been able to manage a team of about 20 people made up of kids from all ages and then including adults as well. So it's been a very interesting experience learning to lead all these other people. But I feel like that'll be a big portion in my application and my essays just because I spent so much time and I feel like I've developed so much through it. So that's kind of what I'm doing with my summer. Definitely. So... I don't do scouting like he does, right? But um, you can now. Okay. No. All right, Dominic. So, um, Another podcast. So just like last summer, I went to Vietnam and I basically did a lot with English camps where I basically helped the children learn English, and then I also helped teach like a career discovery course, which also, of course, like in English. So like using my, I mean, I guess like native speaking from here with that, and so that helps contribute to my volunteering. This year, I'm also like helping tutoring refugee kids so it also adds to that and it's so it adds to that so it's contributes to my like volunteering outside of school but then this summer I'm through the Dallas Mayor's internship which is a really good program I'm going to be interning part-time at Parkland also in the future I want to pursue something in the medical field or, or something similar to that so I think like through this internship <coughs> we'll be able to actually see if I really like invested in like a medical career because right. that's a lot of commitment but also like gaining more experience um, making connections with people at the hospitals and I'm also hoping to like maybe make some connections so I could do something within the school year or just basically doing that and getting some experience which I think will be really valuable for college and I could also use in my essays so it's really good. Right. I think it's also important to relate these types of summer activities to your Common App and potential essays. For one, if you want to talk about uh, your experiences during the summer, you want to put that on the Common App in the activities section and put the times for that during the summer. The second thing to remember is that you can definitely talk about these in your essays. So for example, I went to a debate camp called Texas Debate Collective, where 50% of the teachers actually, for, or actually all of the teachers, forego their salary to pay for 50% of kids who need scholarship money who couldn't have gone to camp on their own. So it was a great experience where all the teachers were super dedicated toward debate and toward teaching, where a lot of people there were from diverse communities, diverse socioeconomic backgrounds that typically are not found in debate. So I talked about that in my essay. Besides essays just for colleges, though, you should also think about applying to scholarships because some of them will have application deadlines that are early in the fall of senior year and also sometimes during the summer. So one example is the Cameron Impact Scholarship, which has a due date that's basically the next three weeks into the school year. And also like the Gates Scholarship. I don't know. I've always seen, like people <clears throat> always mention it. Yeah. And on top of scholarships as well, you need to think about all of the other uh, timed portions of the application. So parts that are not in your control per se. So for example, letters of recommendation, you will need two of those from teachers plus your guidance counselor recommendation. So just over the summer, I would say start thinking about who or which teachers could write well about you and kind of reflect upon your high school experience. From what I've gathered um, from all these college information sessions was that, you know, they want a teacher that has a deep connection with you and not only to attest to your academic ability, because that'll be reflected through your transcript and everything, but also just the character that you are 
and the type of personality that you bring to the campus because most schools are looking to build a diverse group of students and they want all different personality types represented in order to make the community thrive. But just make sure that you are being considerate with these teachers. You know, they're taking time. They don't have to write these letters. So most of them will have a certain amount of time. Most teachers have told us one month ahead of the due date. Um, so just make sure that when you're looking at, which will segue us into our next point nicely about whether to apply early versus regular, but just make sure you're keeping up those deadlines, bring out a calendar if you need to, but just make sure you're giving those teachers enough time to write the letters, not only to be considerate with them, but also to make sure that they are able to write a good letter for you and that it actually reflects the type of person that you are because you want that letter to be um, nice because usually those are weighted heavily in the attestment to your character because there's not much else that they can do based off of that. So, so you might even want to consider asking your teachers before the summer so that you know, as we talk about what you're going to do in the summer, your teachers are going to be writing rec letters for you. And I think the benefit for this is what Dominic said, is that teachers are going to have more time in the summer to spend more time on your letter. If you ask them one month in advance, they might do it because they can and they want to help you, but their letter might not be that great because everybody else is going to ask them that one month mm -hmm. in advance. Yeah. So especially like when you're applying early, which the deadline's November 1st, so you're also like trying to get everything together. You got to make sure like you finish all your tests. Cause I know she was saying like the latest you should take like a test, like September, finishing up your supplements and then your essays. So like getting like the rec letters out of the way would also be very beneficial to you. Exactly. I think what we all have talked about here today is that summer is for planning. It is for thinking about your essays. It's about potentially writing them, potentially drafting them. But it's a lot about you making a plan, making a schedule for yourself, depending on which colleges you want to go to. So if you know you want to apply early to somewhere, make a plan. What things will you get done by what dates? Will you submit it the night before or will you submit it two weeks before? When are you going to ask your teachers for rec letters? When are you going to ask for transcripts? Set some dates for yourself to make sure that you follow them, to make sure that you have a plan so that you get everything in on time. Yeah, and especially with these application deadlines, for example, from that Exploring College Options information session, I noticed that all the dates were slightly different. So some of the early or most of the early admissions dates are going to be um, November 1st. But especially with the regular dates, they kind of jump around the place. They're usually late December, early January. But first of all, you don't want to miss a date for sure, because that's not going to be great at all for your application. Disaster. But you also want to be able to have the most amount of time to just make sure everything is great. Don't procrastinate until the last second. But if you have one that's due December 30th and then you have one that's due January 10th, maybe you want to get the December 30th one done first so that you can get that turned in on time. But especially if you're applying to a lot of schools, just kind of write them out on a piece of paper or calendar that you can put up on the wall and just make sure that you're staying on top of these dates because they do sneak up on you. So do you guys have any questions about what to do over the summer or what plans you should be making over the summer? Yeah, but I do have a couple of questions based off of the college admissions process from these information sessions that I've been going to and also just thinking and planning um ahead of time because I, I'm i a pretty big planner and making sure that everything's going to be okay. And that's probably based off of my advisor for this trip because he's a great planner. So he's kind of influenced me. But starting off, one of my questions was when a student gets deferred, because a lot of our um, talks at school too are, uh, talk about deferrals, 
does that deferred application, um, when you get deferred to the regular decision, does that get thrown back into the regular decision pool, or does it get placed into a separate pile with all of the uh, known referred or deferred people, um, and then decided upon then? So I was deferred from Princeton <coughs> early action, so I've done a lot of research in you know, scouring college confidence topic. What I have been able to determine is that, and especially I think the Princeton University and other universities would agree that if you've been deferred your file will be placed in the entire rest of the applicant pool. So your your application will be viewed in the context of every other single regular decision applicant and deferred early action applicant. Now, your application will say deferred from the early action round, and that might have an effect on the reader because, empirically speaking at least, it is very, very difficult to go from being deferred to getting in to the university because just logically speaking, if they wanted you, they would have taken you before. And also a lot of schools saying that they don't wait the early admissions option anymore for these top tier schools. If you know, if you were deferred the first time, you probably won't be the second time. And I know our teachers have shown us statistics on these numbers and they're not great, but they do happen. So you know, don't be discouraged, but it is something to be realistic about. And that's another thing, this process, you know, you have to stay realistic. You can be optimistic, but it's going to be better in the long run to make sure you're being in contact with these schools and thinking about schools that you do have a chance with. Um, you know, if you got deferred in the early part of rejected and you're thinking about pleading your case, that might be not, that might not be the greatest um, use of your time. And it might be better well spent talking with schools that you've gotten into or finding out programs that would be best for you. And in fact, the summer can be a very useful time to plan out that first semester of senior year. If you do not get into a school early action or you've been deferred <laughs> into the regular decision round, then it might matter to the colleges. It might be a significant benefit or a significant harm to you, depending on how you did and what you did in the first semester of senior year. So we know that we're going to have a lot going on. We know we have essays to write, interviews to go to, teachers to bug about college recommendation letters. So use that time in the summer to think about the best use of time in that first semester. What are the things you want to keep doing? What are the things that will help you get into a good school? Because that first semester of senior year really is crunch time. And so to make it easier on you, you can use the summer to think about the things you want to prioritize rather than just doing everything. I had a question about like regarding like contacting like our reps, like our local reps or like regional reps for the colleges. So like how would you go about doing that? And would you just like ask them questions or what would you do? <laughs> so some schools will not disclose the regional representative of their university because they just don't want students to email these poor admissions officers. So, for example, my process of getting the Harvard regional representative was quite a nightmare. I, they would not give the name to me, so I actually had to ask a counselor from a different school to do that because my counselor was out for the week. So my process was a little bit hard. And even when I did the email and got my principal to make a call to him, the admissions counselor didn't respond. So sometimes it might be very hard and very useless. But there are schools like the University of Chicago, for example, that do disclose their regional reps. And my approach to that, particularly with University of Chicago, because I actually had questions about it, is that I just emailed them with questions about their school. I would not spend your summer months emailing admissions officers about how you think this will sound, because the answer they're going to give is, one, that admissions is a holistic, so they're not going to be able to give you an answer. And second, they'll be very annoyed because they'll just say that you'll be fine or something like that. They'll encourage you to apply, but they won't give you anything definite because that's what they do. That's their job. 
Can you show me some of your like first draft, like your emails, right? Like how you first approach them, because like I feel like that's always like weird. Well, like, I hey. well I well, didn't write any first draft emails. I just wrote an email and sent it. No, no, like your first email, not first draft email. Oh. Like your first, like hey, I'm reaching out email. It's very lame. It's like hi, Mister Pensini or whatever his name was. I have a question about the difference between economics and public policy major. What are the differences? Thank Do you so much. Best regards, Michael Gao. Take into okay, like so, like these regional reps, right? Mm-hmm. So are they like um, the people that actually look at your application? Yes. Or are they like so they're one of the people that like could like look at your application, right? Yes. So the way it works for most top tier schools is that there's initial reading by your regional representative and one other person. If it gets past that, it goes into committee where all or most of the regional reps and the top of the admissions team work together to make a decision. But the first round will always or almost always go through that admissions regional representative. So it would be a good, like, in your best interest to, like, contact them. Well, not with, like, random questions, but, like, if you're truly, like, interested in the school. So I guess it's also, like, one of the ways to show, like, demonstrated interest, right? Definitely. I don't think it could hurt, especially if you go to some of these college fairs and talk to them afterwards. I know there's a lot of people, but it's possible that you make an impression if you ask a really insightful question. Don't count on it. Don't say that's how you're going to get into Harvard, but it could help. So don't discount it. Another thing, um, through taking all these APs and standardized testing, they always talk about the sending score reports to schools. And, you know, you get a couple free score reports after the date. But for me, you know, taking the SAT Earlier in my junior year, that data is long gone by the time I'm applying to schools. So as far as the score report, does the score report have to be sent to every school? Because there is like a $10 fee to it, which doesn't seem like much, but that's part of that incidental cost associated with the application process. Because if you know, if you're sending AP score reports and SAT score reports and ACT score reports, those are going to really add up. So is that going to have to be sent to every single school or that just be sent to the school that um, at once I'm admitted? So it depends on the school as is the case with a lot of these questions. So most of the schools, I'll say, will require an official score report. There are some schools like, I believe, Johns Hopkins and Columbia University that will let you self-report your score on the common application, and when you're enrolled, will force you to send an official score report to confirm. You don't want to lie because they will just rescind your acceptance and you will be in a very bad position. But there are some schools that will allow you to save some money at first up front. And then another one with the interviews, because um, a lot of these schools will want you to do an interview and they'll recommend it. And it's a great idea to accept the interview. You always want to take advantage of every single opportunity afforded to you through this uh, process. But if there's a conflict as far as, you know, another interview or let's say an event that you're doing because, you know, you don't want to give up on your activities just because you're applying to schools. In fact, you should be continuing that and growing them. Um, how does the scheduling process for these interviews work? And if there is a conflict, how um, accepting are these people with working around your schedule? You typically won't have a interview during the summer months. So if you're going on vacation, don't worry about that because you haven't submitted your application yet. So once you submit your application, it'll go in this void that is the admissions officers and they'll spit out an interviewer that is sometimes matched with you based on your location. interests, based on your major, but obviously your location. So it'll be somewhere in in your area, particularly if you live in Dallas, for example. If you live in a rural area, it's a little bit more tricky. And so scheduling-wise... So if you're doing this um, regular mission, about what time is this? By the time they schedule the 
interviews. So my early decision round was about one month after I submitted it, so in October. And for my regular decision round, it honestly depended all over the place. I had an interview the second week of February. I had one as late as the middle of March. And it honestly just depends. Scheduling-wise, it is very individual. You will the, the, you will reach out to an interviewer, like at Vanderbilt, where you have to do it yourself. Or at places like Harvard, the interviewer will reach out to you directly. And you two will create a schedule that works for you. We'll set a time that works for you. They might pitch a time and a place at first, and you can respond to it saying that you have a conflict, that you have another activity. And sometimes they'll let you pick, and then you can pick a time that's good for your schedule. So it's very collaborative, and I really wouldn't worry about conflicting times because these interviewers understand because they themselves went through the process, and so they'll be very understanding about schedule. So I would not worry about it. Right, another question with the uh, essay, right? Um, when you're doing this for the comment, do you have a space where you show which um, essay you chose, or do they just receive the essay? So you will be asked what prompt you chose, okay. so you can choose, you know, yeah. select in a multiple so choice. kind of lays the context behind your essay. Yes. Yeah. That's good. Yes, exactly. All right. And then uh, one more thing regarding transcripts. There's going to be about two um, questions with this one, but they are related. So at the at their most recent um, information ses session that I went to, they were talking a lot about the transcript, which I kind of found interesting because the first one they didn't. And these admissions officers were saying that they put a lot of weight on the transcript itself to kind of judge. Um, and this was the uh, exploring college options one. So they put a lot of weight on the transcript to kind of judge the academic ability, which I kind of found interesting because they were saying that the AP scores and SAT scores, they don't put uh, as much weight on that due to the fact that it's only one day and that your transcript kind of covers the entire year. I found that interesting because, um, you know, great inflation and not, not inflation, but differences between schools as well is kind of interesting because, you know, a 90 at one school might be a 100 at another. Right. And even for this one class versus another. But I kind of found that interesting. Um, so how much do you think the transcript is actually weighted? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely am curious by the admissions officer's statement that that's privatized more over test scores. I understand the argument because... So I wouldn't say prioritize more, but they were, from what I gather, they were saying that there is a large emphasis put on the transcript weight and then not a lot on the um, standardized testing, but there wasn't a comparison. I've read the opposite things sometimes too, so yeah, it's a little too. weird. Um, what I will say is that there are some schools that the, the admissions counselors work their regions for many years, so they'll know mm -hmm. the schools in the area. So they'll know the reputation of the school. They'll see if someone has gotten a hundred. Every student who's applied to that school has gotten a hundred in AP Biology, and that'll tell them something. And they know these things because they know historical trends. They can pull up transcripts of past applicants as well. Other schools also will change your transcript GPA into their own GPA based on their evaluations of the transcript. So they'll actually take out classes they don't think deserve to be in your GPA, and they will add additional weight to classes they think deserve additional weight. Yeah. So the transcript GPA might not be the GPA the admissions officers work. It depends on the school. Also, like, like our teachers were telling us how, like, they put, they look at, like, the strength of, like, the classes that you're taking, like, how hard they are, how rigorous they are, and they also take that into account, because, like, we know, like, coming from our schools, we take, like, a lot of APs, like, at least five or six APs every year, so, like, they also, like, consider that, right? They definitely consider the rigor of your transcript, so if you have more APs, it 
definitely looks better. Again, everything is placed in the context of your school, the number of APs that were available to you, so the number of opportunities that were available to you. So, you know, again, like a lot of this process, it's going to be very dependent on the school, on you, on where you're applying, and how you're applying. All right, and then one other question on the transcript. Um, so, for example, in middle school, you're able to take first-level language courses or maybe even a second-level course, but you will have to continue that in high school. So I imagine that, for example, my Spanish would be, if I took Spanish in middle school, that would reflect on my transcript because that is a required course. Yes. Right? All right, so with that, right, this is going to be a individual question, but I'm sure that a lot of other people experience this in larger schools where they have different teachers for different subjects. Um, for example, my Spanish one course was uh, very easy as far as grade wise. So my grade reflects that I did really, really well in Spanish one. And then when I came to high school, I had a very difficult Spanish uh, course with a difficult teacher. Um, I learned a lot more, but my grade does not reflect that. Um, so is there going to be something interesting um, shown in the transcript or will it kind of show that with the difference in teachers that, you know, it dipped 15 points or something uh, with that. So it depends on your school's transcript, but for Dallas ISD transcripts, I can tell you that teachers are not on there. So they will not know what teachers you had. And admissions counselors will notice a 15 point drop in your Spanish scores. But do not worry because there's two ways you can use to you know solve this. One is talking to your interviewer about it. If the interviewer asks, did you, did you have a challenge in class? Did you have a challenging time? And you can talk about your experience overcoming hurdles in Spanish. The second place is on the Common App. You can talk about it in your essays, but probably more usefully, you can use the Common App's additional information section. So the Common App's additional information session section lets you explain anything away. I used it to explain why I changed schools. If they have a disciplinary record, you should make it clear why you have that disciplinary record. If you have a sudden drop in a grade, you should explain why. You should explain whether it was you know, parents getting divorced, tough time, or just a different teachers. So that section can really be important if you have factors that are considered anomalies. So with that, we've talked about what you should do over the summer and a few questions that Dominic and me had about our process. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my name's Michael. Me. And Dominic. Thanks for listening to Admissions Uncovered. I'll see you next week. Bye. Success. Okay.